Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. To learn more about the program and our church, when you visit walkintruth.com or you can download the Free Living Truth app. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 40 called The Second Isaiah. I told you the word kabod or kavod in Hebrew means to open the door within. It means to show who you are. And Jesus Christ shows who God is. He is the majesty of God revealed, God's final message to the world. And he came and tabernacled among us to make us holy, to spill his blood. I told you that holiness is an interesting Hebrew word. It's kadosh. It means what comes from the threshing floor. It has the idea of the separating of wheat from chaff. The chaff is blown away and the wheat remains. That's the idea of holiness. And do you know something? Jesus came to tabernacle among us and the Jerusalem temple was built. It was purchased by David. And do you remember what it was? It was a threshing floor. In other words, the Jerusalem temple was built on a threshing floor owned by Ornan the Jebusite. That's 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1. Everything that God wants to say about holiness is, has to do with his coming and his glory coming into our lives, flooding our hearts and minds so that we can see beyond our circumstances. And a voice calls out, verse 6, And then he answered, what shall I call out? Here's the the third of the idea of the heavenly heralds. It may be that Isaiah is asking the question. A voice says, call out. The answer, verse 6, what shall I call out? What shall I say? And here's the, the answer. All flesh is grass and all its loveliness or glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. That's what happened to the people of Israel. Surely the people are grass. People are transient, but so are bad circumstances and difficult times. The grass withers, verse 8, the flower fades, but the word of our God, by contrast to our transiency, stands for how long? Forever. And God is saying, look, you may be struggling with what you see in front of your eyes right now, But the promises that I have made to you in this chapter, and for that matter, the entire Bible, are sure, steadfast. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will, what? Never pass away. The word of the Lord is sure. His promises you can take to the bank. And God is saying, look, you may be transient. You may have seen your relatives die in Babylon. You may be struggling with difficulty in terms of what you see in front of you, but my promises will be fulfilled. My word is true. I've stated my, staked my very name on it. And this particular idea of the word of God, if you turn with me to 1 Peter, and this idea of transiency is again stated in 1 Peter all the way almost to Revelation. Go to 1 Peter, and here's what Peter says, picking up this idea of man's... Um, Brevity, his mortality, but yet the hope we have in the word of God. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth, 1 Peter 1, 22, purified yourselves, your souls, for a sincere love of the brethren, 
fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding word of God. For, here it is from Isaiah again, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, in light of that truth, chapter 2, verse 1, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that you, by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you keep reading, and we won't go there for right now, God then talks about his chosen and precious people who are anchored to those promises. You see the contrast? What God is saying is though, though, yeah, humanity, you know, people are born, go back to Isaiah, they die. This life can be a struggle. Uh, God is our maker. And though we see a transient life where things can be difficult, God says, my promises are true. And hope will carry you through. Look at verse 9 of chapter 40 of Isaiah. And so, Jerusalem, Zion, is told, get yourself up, 40 verse 9, on a high mountain, O Zion. Bearer of good news. This word in Hebrew matches the Greek word for evangelism. Get up, you're a bearer of good news. Get up on the mountaintop. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift lift it up. Do not fear. And say to the cities of Judah, if you want to know what the gospel is, here it is. Behold, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come, here's his promise, verse 10, with might, with his arm, his arm is a picture of his mighty acts of judgment and deliverance, ruling for him, behold, this is the third behold, look, his reward is with him, and his recompense, his uh, work, if you will, is before him, and now, if you like headings again, I want to say, before verse 9, write our Savior, and then before verse 11, write our shepherd. Our Savior, our shepherd. See, God will begin to show you the reasons why you should have comfort because it's one thing to read promises in the word of God. It's another thing to really know why they're good and how you can stand on them. And here's what God is going to begin to develop. He's going to say, look, you are the bearers of good news. You can tell other people that despite what is going on, I can stand up at a memorial service or funeral and say to people, look, there is hope beyond the grave because the promises of God go beyond this lifetime. And I can say it with authority because God's word stands forever. This is the hope of the gospel. And so God will save with his mighty arm, verse 10. He will bring judgment, but yet he will deliver his people. He will rule. And I want you to see the tenderness of this. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, that saving arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. The NIV says he will carry them close to his heart. He will gently lead the nursing ewes Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for what? For his sheep. The one who spilled his blood for you is the one who carries you. Close to his heart. That's where he wants you to be. He didn't die for you just to somehow give you a position in his kingdom. 
or even to give you eternal life. He died for you that you might know him intimately. That's what eternal life is. It is to know God. Christianity, boiled down to its simplest definition, is to come to know God. That's what it is. And he says, I'm going to carry you. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And even as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for my sheep. The lamb in the center of the throne, Revelation 7.17, shall be their shepherd, shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God our shepherd will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Revelation 7.17. You can also think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now notice this God. He's not only our savior and our shepherd, but he's our creator. And God is going to take us now to a section about creation to show us how big he is and how majestic he is. So just in case doubt starts to creep in and you say, but really, can it be? He's going to start to show you how big he is in, in, I guess, contrast to the nations where they are in slavery. He says, who has measured, verse 12, the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens by the span, that's the width of a stretched out hand, and calculated the dust of the earth by measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, verse 13, or as his counselor has informed him? Did God have to go to an architect and get plans when he made the world? Did he have to get input from the angels? You know, in the Babylonian mythology that Uh, the people of Israel are now enslaved in, they believed in a creator god, Marduk, who had to get input from another god named Ea, the all-wise. How should we do this? How should we measure it? He needed help. Even in Mormonism today, they say in the beginning, the council of of the gods got together and made the world and everything in it. There was, in Mormon theology, a council of many gods. And you too can become a god if you're a good enough Mormon. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible alone did the creation. Verse 14, with whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? Have you ever wondered about these questions? Who who caused him to think up tropical fish? Six million forms of plants and animals. Circulatory system. The majesty of the eye and its intricacy. The interaction of nature, the cosmos, the planets, the 23 degree tilt of the planet, its rotation, its just perfect distance from the sun and the moon. Who did that? Who told him to say to the ocean, you can only go this far and told the sun how brightly it could shine? My Redeemer lives. Who... Does it take more faith to believe that all of this intricacy came from an explosion 15 or 20 billion years ago with no mind, no intelligence, no direction, nothing behind it? And yet if you told somebody, hey, your laptop computer, or 15 or 20 billion years ago there was an explosion. We don't know where the stuff came from, but it exploded. We know how much order that causes. And then there was a soupy substance created from rain that rained on the molten hot planet for 15, 20 million years. And then out of that molten lava and through progressive evolution, six million forms of plants and animals, intricacy, nobody's directing it. There is absolutely no intelligence behind any of this in evolution. None. There is nobody. Something came from nothing. That's what they teach. Now you, you say, you answer this question. 
if you're dialoguing with somebody, which takes more faith to believe? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. 23 degree tilt of the planet, it's rotation, it's just perfect distance from the sun and the moon. Who did that? Who told him to say to the ocean, you can only go this far, and told the sun how brightly it could shine? My Redeemer lives. Who... Does it take more faith to believe that all of this intricacy came from an explosion 15 or 20 billion years ago with no mind, no intelligence, no direction, nothing behind it? And yet if you told somebody, hey, your laptop computer, or 15 or 20 billion years ago there was an explosion. We don't know where the stuff came from, but it exploded. We know how much order that causes. And then there was a soupy substance created from rain that rained on the molten hot planet for 15, 20 million years. And then out of that molten lava and through progressive evolution, six million forms of plants and animals, intricacy, nobody's directing it. There is absolutely no intelligence behind any of this in evolution. None. There is nobody. Something came from nothing. That's what they teach. Now you, you say, you answer this question. If you're dialoguing with somebody, Which takes more faith to believe? An explosion, we don't know where the stuff came from, there's no intelligence, no uh, mind behind any of this, or a creator God made all the intricacy that we see in the universe. Uh, Which takes more faith? So we're sitting at a restaurant this week, and there we are, uh, Pastor John and we're having uh, breakfast as we like to do. And we prayed before we ate, and we're talking about things of the Spirit, and there's a man right next to us, you could tell he's listening in. You know how sometimes if you're alone eating a meal, you're listening in. Well, turns out that he, he uh, works on motorcycles, and we both rode our motorcycles up to this restaurant. So we had something in common, so we began to talk. And he says, you know, he says, I'm an atheist. And I said, really? And so, yeah, he said, you know, I just, I have too much trouble believing. And so we began to talk about creation. So I, said, I began to ask him, where do you think the world came from and the complexity and all the, the millions of plants and animals and design and reproduction and self-healing of the body and your circulatory system and your eye, do you think that just kind of came from nothing, from no design, nothing? And so he didn't know quite how to answer that. He said it might be easier to believe than not believe in one sense. But then he said it might be, for him, it's tough as an atheist, you know, because he's often misunderstood. And we had an interesting conversation and We tried to answer every one of his objections, but finally his answer was, maybe we just don't know enough to know where all this came from. So he claimed ignorance, but then he didn't say he's an agnostic, but rather he's an atheist. So I could give you all the details of the argument, but I will say this, uh, if you were to assess the argument, I think he lost, because we had more evidence on our side. But anyway, he kind of just, you know, danced around some things and tried to be honest with other things. And so... We were, he was getting ready to leave, and uh, we were going to pay our bill, and the waitress walks up and says, 
oh, uh, someone's paid your bill for you to Pastor John and I. And I looked, and there were some people that I know from the community who are Christians who walked in, they saw us eating, and they paid our bill. And I said to the atheist right before he was going to leave, you know, if you were a Christian, (laughs) they would have paid your bill too. He got a kick out of that. Stuff like that happens to me all the time. I know my Redeemer lives. <laughs> Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Verse 15. And are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. For God doing curls is like lifting up a piece of, an island is like lifting up a piece of fine dust. Even Lebanon, known for its cedars, for its trees, is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. If you took all the cedars of Lebanon and all the animals within the forest and you burn them as a burnt offering unto God, that's not enough, says Isaiah in light of who he is. All the nations are nothing before him, 17. And you've got you to remember, they're in Babylonian captivity, and Babylon looks so huge and powerful. They're regarded by him as less than nothing, and meaningless. New King James says worthless. This is a word used for the primeval chaos that was there when God made the world. Everything was uh, void and, and so forth, chaotic, if you will, and God brought order to it. Any life, any nation that doesn't know God ultimately will live a meaningless life. You will ultimately come to a point of chaos, worthlessness. You will say, is this all there is? We live for a little while and we die and that's it. He who dies with the most toys wins. I don't know what you win, but I guess you win something. See, blessed is the nation whose Lord, whose God is the Lord. And God says, to whom then will you liken God? What likeness will you compare with him? What will you do? What could you come up with in the creation made by a creator that would actually somehow depict him? As for the idol, here's what they do in Babylon. A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. The chains were meant so that your idol wouldn't fall down. And he who is too impoverished for such an offering, someone who's poorer, selects a tree that does not rot, and he seeks out a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. And then they go in the streets and say, my idol stands firmer than yours does. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Did that date me? Never mind. Anyway, it's one of these old toys that tottered, but it didn't fall down. See, your idol will be like you. That's the best it can do is reflect you and how much money you've got. Hey, come look at my idol. Now, we don't do this today. Well, maybe we do. But I'm not going to go there, because this is about comfort. Verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood or discerned from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the vault. If you have an NAS, it says the circle of the earth. Some people believe that this points to the fact that in the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus ever lived, the Bible says that the earth is a circle, though the there was a period of time when the people said the earth was flat. The Bible didn't teach that. Some people believe the circle points to the uh, heavens or the atmosphere. I'll let you do a little homework on that. But 
He sits above the vault of the earth, circle of the earth, and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers in God's sight, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Solomon said, how can the temple that I've built contain you? Will you really dwell on the earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, much less this temple that I have built. 1 Kings 8.27 He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. 23, it is he who reduces rulers like Nebuchadnezzar to nothing. You remember what he did to Nebi? Caused him to eat some grass for seven years. Who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they planted 24. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But God merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. And then God says, to whom then will you liken me? That I should be as equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, 26, on high, and see who created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number. I want you to see this, Bible students. He, God, calls them all by name. God has named every single star. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. The Babylonians used to worship the stars, astral worship. They gave names to deities and the heavenlies. Even Israel was tempted to do this kind of thing. And it can be awe-inspiring when you look up on a starry night and you're actually somewhere where you can see the stars, right? And you go, wow. And the ancients used to say, those must be gods. And God said, no, they're not gods. They are stuff I made. Just so you'd go, wow. How big is God? You've been listening to the second Isaiah part two on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 40. Hey, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also be able to listen to Pastor Michael's teaching in Revelation, Job, and many more. Again, search for and follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, Isaiah chapter 40 is such an amazing chapter. Not only does it talk about the care of God and how he is a loving shepherd, but it talks about the majesty of God. (laughs) He is the one who made every single star and calls them all by name. Our God is an awesome God. And, you know, when you begin to just look up, and I know it's hard where we live in Southern California, you look up and you see eight stars. (laughs) But the truth is there's so many billions and billions of stars. When you uh, get up, you know, maybe in the mountains or uh, in the desert and the right time without all the natural interference of, uh, I should say, of unnatural light. um, And you see, you just look up. The heavens declare the glory of God. This is the God who so loved you. He made you in his image and came down to rescue you in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, my brother, my sister, we serve a great and awesome God. Never forget it. And uh, he loves you. And that's the amazing truth of the gospel. I hope you know him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Hey, if you want to know his love, just look at the cross. This God who made the stars, made the universe. 
made you, died for you, and wants you to know him. Cry out, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for entering into our world. Thank you that the creator became, uh, came down in the person of Christ. I trust that you live that perfect life for me. You died on that terrible cross for me. You rose to justify me from the dead. You rose from the dead and you live to intercede for me. Maybe you're a prodigal and you just want to cry out, Lord, I, I, I want to come back home. I've lost a sense of your majesty. I'm sorry. Man, Isaiah chapter 40 will just thrill you once again with realizing who it is that we worship and how amazing it is that he loves us. This is Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. Hey, if you're new to the broadcast, we're moving through the book of Isaiah. So much incredible content ahead. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. If you want to know more about us, go to our website, walkintruth.com. You can find out more about what we're doing, some of the latest teaching, how you can partner and pray uh, with us, for us, walkintruth.com. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. And just a reminder that this is a listener-supported ministry. Would you consider becoming a partner for just $5 a month? We're blessed to know that the teachings reach thousands of listeners like you every weekday through our radio partners and through the podcast. We could use your help for the price of a cup of coffee. If you've learned something from Pastor Michael's teaching, or if you've been encouraged, please help others like you. Visit walkintruth.com to donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 40 called The Second Isaiah. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.